July is just around the corner. Is Paris ready? Ready to host the Summer Games? Mostly yes, if you listen to France's president on hand for the inauguration of the Olympic Village. Well done, everyone. You can be very, very proud of what has been achieved in an extraordinary way. And at the same time, you have kept the commitments we all made in 2017. Yeah, the Olympic Village, one of the few venues built from scratch for an event that uh, promised sustainability and, for the most part, to showcase existing structures. A total budget of less than 9 billion euros makes for 40% less than the London Olympics of 2012. But there's still plenty that can go wrong, from transport strikes and price gouging on hotel rooms to uh, what's on a municipal employee's stolen laptop, sources at Paris City Hall say. He claimed to have been robbed of security plans for the entire Olympics so that police would expedite his case. Either way, what are the challenges, particularly surrounding the opening ceremonies that are due to take place along the River Seine? More broadly, there's an essential question. 100 years after Paris last hosted the Games, what are the Olympics all about in the 21st century? In an era of superpower tensions, of splintered allegiances, why does this global spectacle continue to fascinate? Today in the France 24 debate, we're asking what kind of Games will they be? And uh, joining us uh, from Grenoble, Alexandre Fort, professor of urban studies at the uh, Paris School of Higher Learning and Social Sciences, UHESS, thanks for being with us. Thank you, and thank you to accept me and distance. Uh, yeah, well, in, in the, where you were the, where the 1968 games were held uh, in, down in Grenoble, uh, the Winter Absolutely. Games. Uh, Sylvain Bersinger is uh, chief economist at business consultants Aster. Thanks for being with us as well. Thank you. And we're uh, pleased to welcome uh, a former Olympic swimmer and uh, fellow journalist uh, James Parrick. How are you? Very well. Thank you for having me. All right. Your reactions. Oh, we have late arrivals. We can uh, uh, welcome him now. Come on in. Uh, come on in. Come on in. Uh, Martin Duplantier, coordinating architect of the Mobility Center uh, in the Olympic Village. Paris traffic couldn't keep you away. Exactly. Thanks for being with us. Thanks. Uh, your reactions on the hashtag F24Debate. It's called the Paris Olympics, but actually the northern working class suburbs around Saint-Denis are where so much is happening. Swimming, uh, athletics, uh, and the Olympic Village, uh, home to both athletes and the foreign press during the Games. The Olympic Village uh, inaugurated this Thursday, but only after France 24 social media editor Katrin Lingsu got a sneak peek. Six months ago, this was a construction site. Now, it's an empty neighborhood, and in five months, it'll be home to 14,000 athletes coming to the Paris 2024 Olympic Games. The keys are handed to Olympics organizers on March 1st, marking the start of a race against time to get everything ready for the July inauguration. But how will the athletes actually be living during the Olympic Games? We are in an apartment des athletes. If you have a typical d'athlètes avec deux athletes par chambre, on a déjà installé les sommiers, les matelas et euh, la couette. C'est un sommier qui est en carton qui euh, sera donc euh, recyclé euh, par la suite. Là, on est dans euh, l'espace de vie euh, commune. Dans les appartements, il n'y a pas de cuisine. Ce qui nous a permis d'avoir une chambre d'athlète complémentaire dans l'appartement. So how will the athletes be managing their meals? The village includes two restaurants open around the clock. The main dining facility, which you see right here behind me, can seat 
3,500 people all at once, with the capacity to serve up to 40,000 meals a day. On a un espace ici de rez-de-chaussée qui sera le Village Club, qui est donc l'espace de divertissement, et avec donc les jeux, des billards, des flippers, un bar sans alcool qui sera situé en plein milieu, le sports bar avec des grands écrans qui permettront aux athlètes de pouvoir voir les compétitions pendant la journée, et un espace de décontraction, de détente, un lieu de partage, d'échange et de discussion entre les athlètes du monde entier. The village mimics the convenience of a typical neighborhood with a post office, supermarket, beauty salon, but also sports facilities. C'est la salle de fitness. Elle sera ouverte 24 heures sur 24, 3000 mètres carrés d'équipements avec 300 équipements de sport qui permettront aux athlètes donc de, de se préparer, de s'échauffer. On est sur la place olympique. Pendant les Jeux, c'est la seule zone mixte internationale où peuvent se croiser les athlètes, la presse et les familles. Donc c'est la seule zone ouverte à l'extérieur. On a beaucoup travaillé cette zone pour garder une ambiance très végétale, pour venir offrir une qualité paysagère, une qualité urbaine. Et donc on espère que les athlètes y trouveront bien. This village was designed to and even with athletes, athletes, competitors from around the globe were invited to share their vision of the village and make sure that it would meet their needs. This collaborative design process is what has made up what we've seen here today. And soon, the village will be put to its test when it will host the world's elite athletes for the 2024 Olympic Games. Will you be watching? Yeah, that's uh, Catherine Linkso from our social media team uh, with that report. Uh, When you look at those images, James Parrick, and you think back to 1988, <laughs> sorry to give the date, and the Seoul Olympics. It was, it's amazing. I'm excited just watching it. It is, it is the most exciting thing. Well, for how does that compare with then? I, this will be better, um, but some things will be exactly the same. First of all, it's the most difficult environment, disorientating environment an athlete can go to. It's the worst preparation being in an Olympic village to compete at these give the performance. You can't be in your bubble when you're in the Olympic Village. You have to remain entirely focused. It's disorientating because as swimmers, we see swimmers all the time. You go into 10,000 athletes, the best in the world, and they don't look like you. They don't walk like you. They don't talk like you. They don't nothing. You're completely disorientated. You cannot get involved in the games room. You just have to stay incredibly focused like everybody will do. You have to walk everywhere. It's miles. Nobody walks. Athletes don't walk anywhere. We certainly, as swimmers, didn't walk anywhere. So the best preparation any of these athletes can do before they get into Paris is walk every day. And also avoid the 24-hour buffet. It's very, very difficult to maintain your diet when you are faced with an enormous 24-hour buffet. What you do on, the, on your training day, you go down, you have maybe a bowl of cereal and a piece of toast, <clears throat> a cup of tea. You go into that place, it's a zoo. A, it's taking you 10 minutes to walk there, 15 minutes possibly. You've got a 15-minute walk to get to the bus, which may or may not be late, unless you're in one of the venues which is very close by. Getting your bowl of cereal and a piece of toast and a cup of tea is almost impossible. So you hear that, uh, uh, Martin Duplantier, there's the problem because you have those who will be using the pinball machine because they've, they've, their event is over and they're just there to have a good time. And and those that still haven't yet competed. Exactly. Well, that's the, the, the whole difficulty of designing a village for athletes during the 16 days of the Olympic Games and then the Paralympic Games is that you have the temporality, uh, you have an issue on temporalities of the ones about to compete or who have competed, the one who will be competing in two weeks, uh, the one that are still uh, ongoing, and then you have the the, the, the heritage of all of that, what does it become after 
uh, uh, the Olympic Games. Maybe I'm a bit early on, on, on this. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, Paris 2024 Organizing Committee Chair Tony Estanguet. Well, he's also a former Olympic kayak champion. He knows all about Olympic villages. I've stayed in an Olympic village four times, Sydney, Athens, Beijing and London. Every time it's been a chance to experience things you'll remember all your life. Because it's an adventure you've never lived before, being among all these athletes from all over the world, athletes from all sports. And of course you cross paths with legends, like Usain Bolt or Nadal. Uh, James Parrick, um, that's, um, how should we say it, that's the f um, family, uh, uh, the, the G-rated version of what happens at the Olympic Village. Uh, I noticed past athletes don't talk much about what goes on inside the Olympic Village. <laughs> Not much, is, is the honest answer. Like I say, it's disorientating. You go and you see Usain Bolt or you go and see a Nadal. There I was sat, Steffi Graf was the big name in 1988. Everybody is looking at her, no matter what level of athlete you are. Again, it's disorientating. It drags away your focus of the performance you want to give. You were just talking about the athletes who are just arriving at the village, rubbing shoulders with the athletes who have finished their entire games experience. That's a very difficult juxtaposition. Um, You're a swimmer, and the swimming happens the first week. So did you... you were you able to let loose the you, second and enjoy? And the rule is... You go out and you stay out. You're not coming back at four o'clock in the morning disturbing everybody. The amount of people coming into an Olympic village when I'm competing on day one or day two is disruptive. People are playing music. People are moving suitcases in and out. They're the, they're the most excited they've ever been in their life. And we're trying to compete the next morning. We're up at six. People are coming in 24 hours a day. It's a nightmare. So yeah, it's difficult. When you finished your games participation, you get out of Dodge, you go into town and you stay out all night, you come back at nine o'clock in the morning, you stay out. You're not coming in disturbing people. That's the rule. I was done on lunchtime on the first day, 100 breaststroke, first day. I, didn't, I was first reserved for the final, so I had to go and prepare for the final session, then I'm done. I was finished, half the athletes hadn't even arrived in the village yet. So for me, it was, it's a lonely place. The other thing about the Olympic Village is, it is a lonely experience. Everybody is focused. And then when you're done, you're sitting around waiting for other people to finish and then you go out. When and you're done, go out, stay out. Don't come back and disturb people. And, and of course, it's a lonely experience, but it's also an ephemeral uh, experience because as you were starting to say, uh, these, uh, this Olympic village, which is in this northern working class suburb of uh, Lille Saint-Denis, uh, it's afterwards going to be housing. It's been built by the private sector. Yeah, it's been built by the private sector. It's, so it's some kind of a, um, a, a partnership between uh, developers, mostly private developers, and the public body, Solideo, uh, which was in charge of developing this, uh, I mean, most of the, the facilities for the Olympic Games, but as well uh, the, the Olympic Village. Um, and the, um, the big issue here is uh, to manage uh, the transfer from uh, the Olympic time to after, to the day after, and what, what does this new neighborhood become? Uh, well, uh, the only games I covered uh, were in Barcelona, and uh, of course we stayed, uh, the journalists, in, 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 uh, in where it was part of the Olympic Village, the part away from the athletes, 
And those became houses after. Those past experiences, how do they go usually? Well, usually, if you look back at data for 125 years, um, I looked at that today, and it was saying that that 92% of the facilities, so major infrastructures, when we're talking about venues, about uh, you know stadiums, etc., 92 are still uh, are still in use. Um, uh, but as for the Olympic uh, villages and the and the and the uh, the housing units, they usually have to turn to be turned into into family homes or etc. But 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 here the work that that um, we have collectively done is to manage the tr this transfer with the minimum of carbon footprints, with the minimum of efforts from. Uh, uh, this uh, housing unit where you need to focus on yourself, you need to focus on competition to a real neighborhood where actually you want to shake hands with your neighbors, you want to have places to meet, you want to have places to hang out, to celebrate, etc. So that's, that's the big issue. Alexandre Fort, um, again, this is uh, uh, taking part in some of the uh, poorest uh, places uh, of the ring around Paris in these, this neighborhood. Do the pluses outweigh the minuses when you look at all the development going on? Uh, uh, or do you worry about things like, you know, gentrification, uh, uh, what it will look like afterwards, or is it all positive? And um, nothing is always all positive. I think we, we, we have in, in the north of Paris a gentrification process. After that, the Olympic Games uh, just put a new project on this global image we have of the north of Paris, changing fastly, but the Games didn't change everything in this place. So I, I just can say we, with some colleagues, not, uh, notably from uh, New York University, we show that the, the particularity of Paris 2024 is that uh, there is a, not a lot of uh, huge project. It's not a big change in the north of Paris. And this project is a part of a large transformation of the suburbs. It's, it's just one project. In, in hundreds of uh, hundreds of projects, so it's it's not like in Tokyo or in London where we we, we saw the games as a lever for changing the the, the suburb of of these cities. In Paris, it's a it's it's a little thing, even if it's a big project as a for 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 the Olympic village. But it didn't change a lot of things in the north of Paris. Is that a good thing, Alexandre? The fact that it's not uh, a huge upheaval. If you look at all of the critics we, we made on the games, the previous games, uh, too many uh, things uh, brills, too many money spends on the big project that uh, became White Elephant, we can say that Paris 2024 tried to make a turn and to uh, change the image of the games uh, with more immaterial uh, legacy and less material legacy. And we can say that Paris 2024 make a big answer to the critics of the games. Um, at the same time, we can say also that Paris 2024 did, will not uh, give to the suburbs uh, the, the ambition we, we had at the beginning. So uh, it's, a, it's a good thing because we don't spend too much money. It's not so interesting in terms of legacy. So the games of Paris 2024 will be new in this way. Sylvain Bersinger, you agree there won't be that big a legacy? Well, yes, the, these games are actually quite cheap. Well, if you compare to the to former uh, games. Was it 8.8 .8 billion euros the cost is what the latest estimate I saw was? Well, y yes, 8.8, .8, but there will maybe or probably, I don't know, uh, be some overcost. So maybe it will be more like 
11, 10, 11, maybe 12 billion. We, we don't know currently what will be the... But it was 30 billion for Beijing, for instance. It yeah. was much more for, for London. Yes, I, I've, I've tried to make some calculation because when you compare Olympics, you have to, to do two, two kinds of calculation. You have to take into account that uh, the, the same amount of uh, money doesn't have the same processing power in different periods of time. So you have to correct this effect. And there is another uh, effect is that the games are always bigger. Uh, when you compete in Seoul, I think, uh, there were uh, smaller games because there were um, not, not so much sports in, in the game. I, actually, between Seoul and Paris, the number of sports or uh, disciplines increased by uh, around 30%. 30%? Yes. So, uh, of course, it costs more money uh, to host a game when there are more athletes, more sports, more stadium to be built. So, you, you, you also have to correct this effect to compare the cost of, of the games. So uh, when your calculation's done, could these wind up being the cheapest games uh, of the modern era? Uh, no. Actually, I think the cheapest are Atlanta and Sydney. Uh, well, I've made the calculation only from um, Seoul, uh, 1988. I think Paris will be the third cheapest. Uh, Atlanta and Sydney will probably be the cheapest, and then Paris. So, yes, it's... A, and if you look at the average cost of the nine precedent uh, game, um, I think the cost of Paris will be, on average, uh, two times lower than the, than the average of the nine uh, former games. So, yes, I think there will be uh, quite cheap games. Uh, Alexandre Faure, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we bash organizers quite a bit. Uh, uh, it, it, can we uh, tip our hats in this case that they they aren't, uh, as you said, uh, making a lot of white elephants? Yes, it's it's very positive things, and Paris will perhaps change the way we do the games in the future, and not building new things when we did not uh, have the, the, the need of this new stadium. So we have only the, the, the Olympic uh, swimming pool that is built in, in Saint-Denis uh, as the Olympic village you speak about and the media village. But it, it, it's more or less uh, what we need for, for Paris. So it's a good way to do the games in the future. And uh, Los Angeles will, be, will build a little bit more. But after that, there will be the games in, uh, in, um, in Australia. And I expect that they, they will build more or less the same as Paris. So perhaps we, we are in a turning point. And it's a good turning point because like that, the games can have a positive image in the future, not like in the past as an event where we make celebration, where we, we have festivity, but we don't spend so much money for nothing. So we will see what will be the legacy. But I'm, on this point, I'm quite optimistic. Uh, James Parrick, on that point, uh, yeah, we, we can see it whenever we go to the national stadium, the Stade de France, right next door is that aquatic center that's being uh, built. Uh, have you been eyeing it up? Have you been casing the joint? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for it. I, I, by the way, I agree 100% with what Alexandra just said about the way Olympics in the future and the present are going to be thought about and presented. Uh, you can't have these enormous games. It has to be modular. You can't have these white elephants. It's got to use existing infrastructure. It's got to be compact. So... In terms of the one piece of infrastructure that Paris is going to build, it needs a swimming pool. It needs a big swimming pool. The one uh, um, up, in the, up in the 19th isn't fit for... It's a great pool, but it's not fit for uh, major international competitions. France does very well for its sporting infrastructure, but Paris doesn't. Paris is just not a great sports city, and it needs to be. And so the How building, can you do that when the parks are off to the sides of the, uh, of the city? The parks... Yeah, I mean, the places where you can do sports, basically. Well, 
it's difficult. Paris is a different, it's, it's the most beautiful city in the world. So let's go with what Paris does well and let's put the Olympics in that context, which this Olympics 2024 is doing. And I'm, I think it's doing an amazing job. Everything that everybody has said about it and the way we're seeing it evolve, I think it's going to be the most spectacular Olympics that, that we've had. Are you slightly frustrated as an architect? Because your job is to build stuff. And one of the big legacies of these games is the fact that they're putting bike lanes in. It's not the same as the Pyramid of the Louvre or, or uh, some of the other big mega projects that have uh, come up around Paris in the past decades. Well, you know, I think um, our jobs as architects uh, in the 21st century is in, 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 in uh, um, developed countries like France uh, or like the UK or Germany will be more and more about rehabilitation. We, you know, it won't it will be less and less about new buildings to build, but more about revisiting an existing infrastructure and an existing facility. So that's what actually we've done with a couple of uh, a couple of them uh, in uh, this time, and it's it's a way at looking at heritage also in in a more um, let's say in a broader spectrum. Before, now, after, mm. how do you reuse? How do you repurpose? Let's talk things? about that because the first uncertainty of uh, whether or not uh, uh, is whether or not there'll be a heat wave during the Olympics, and whether organizers were wise to bet on an eco-friendly Olympic village without air conditioning. We oriented the facades so that they wouldn't get too much sun uh, during the summer and the facades, are, the insulation is really um, efficient. We also uh, are providing naturally cool water that we're getting from underground to um, cool uh, the air uh, of these apartments. So you will not need air conditioning uh, in the summer here. Will all this be fit for purpose in 2050 as the French president boasted today at the inauguration? Um, I don't know. Um, to be honest, we, we, we will see. But the Earth but is getting hotter. I know. Uh, the thing is that you have a couple of passive uh, tools to cool down a building, which is not AC. And I, I think AC heats up the city more than it cools it down. It cools it the inside spaces, but it heats up the general uh, uh, public uh, spaces, outdoors, etc. I think the main, the main. I mean, there's a big issue on on this July and August how hot it will be, and and if we manage to keep the temperature quite low in all the units so that the, the athletes can actually focus on what they are, uh, you know, on their competition, and uh, and then after that, um, the the the, the Solideo was very um, ambitious on the quality of the housing units and on their capacity of cooling naturally cooling themselves. Um, and that's quite, uh, to be honest, new in France to have this approach on, uh, on, on, on housing. And uh, this is a good pilot project for uh, uh, the next uh, decades. And, um, and again, the AC as the only solution for global warming seems a bit a bit, um, let's say, limited. So um, we need to, 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 to bring different solutions. During those two weeks, James, for or against AC in the rooms? 100% against. No, I mean... Even if there's a heat wave? The problem with AC is you get, bad, you get a sore throat and you get coughs. So 
I don't like, and a lot of athletes don't like, cold air blowing across the room when you're trying to sleep. The problem is a lot of people do like warmer rooms, a warm environment, and there's a lot of nations from around the world that will sleep in warmer environments than, than I like to sleep in. I don't want air conditioning. I would, I would prefer to sleep in a hot room and suffer the cause uh, than to have a, a cold air blowing across me. All if right. I'm ready to compete, I'll, I'll nap in the day and I'm, I'm just gonna rest. I don't need sleep, I just need rest. Okay, so uh, first uncertainty, whether or not there'll be a heat wave, there are other uncertainties. Last weekend's strike at the Eiffel Tower, a reminder of what could be if transport workers make good on their threat to walk off the job during the games. And then, of course, there's security, already a touchy issue before, on Tuesday, a Paris municipal employee stashed his computer bag in the overhead rack during his morning, Tuesday morning commute and uh, had it stolen. On it, he initially claimed... Uh, were the plans for the entire security for the game. Selena Sykes has more. A mishap that's once again raised questions about security at this summer's Paris Olympics. Confidential police security plans for the Games have potentially fallen into the wrong hands. After a briefcase containing a laptop and two USB sticks belonging to an engineer from Paris City Hall were stolen on a train. The incident happened at the French capital's Gare du Nord station on Monday evening. The man who had left his briefcase under his seat realised there'd been a theft when he tried to change trains and saw that his bag was no longer there. An investigation is being conducted by regional transport police. But Tony Estanguet, the president of the Paris 2024 organising committee, remained tight-lipped when asked about the incident in an interview on Wednesday morning. I can't confirm this information. It was revealed yesterday evening by the media, but no confirmation from Paris City Hall. I prefer to wait to see if this information is confirmed before making a comment. An unlucky incident and another fawn in the side of those in charge of security at the Olympics with five months to go now. At the end of January, France's Minister of the Interior announced that the government was downsizing the crowd for the opening ceremony to around 300,000 spectators half the size of what was originally planned. While private security companies have reported difficulties in finding recruits to help support the police and soldiers being deployed to ensure the safety of those attending the world's biggest sporting event. I want to talk about those security challenges, but first, Sylvain Bersinger, um, two sources at Paris City Hall telling the newspaper Le Parisien that, in fact, he may have embellished his story a little so that police would expedite the case. And that's why he said there were the security plans. It may have instead been traffic plans that were on those USB sticks. Either way, um, when we think about, uh, you were trying to calculate uh, how much an Olympics brings in, uh, it's got to be good news stories that have to come in. And this could be a potential bad news stories. Does that have an economic cost? Well, the, the economic impact of the game, I think, is positive, but slightly positive. Um, we have an economic model at Asteres, and we try to estimate, uh, well, to, to organize the game, it will cost, as we said, between 9 and 12 billion euros. So that's spending on the French economy. And we try to estimate what will be the economic um, value-added creation, jobs creation generated by these uh, spendings. And we estimated that it's around 10 billion value-added. Uh, value-added value is uh, like GDP. So it's big, but if you compare to the French economy, uh, it's not that big. So th there will be no huge impact on economic growth, unemployment, inflation. So yes, the economic impact will be 
positive, but too But you small. say people will watch TV and think, oh, I want to go to Paris. Yes, oh, well, maybe. I think it will depend on whether the game will be a success or a failure. Uh, if it is a success and people all over the world will see beautiful image of Paris, they will, uh, they will want to, to come to Paris to visit the city in the next years. Uh, if there are failures in the transportation, the security or anything, uh, it could also have a negative uh, impact. So I, I think we will know it uh, after the game. It's too, it's too early to, to, to know what will be the legacy in terms of the image of the city. Uh, Alexandre Fort, for, for journalists like James Parrick and I, before the games have begun and there are no results, of course, every Olympics, we're wondering, is this going to work? Uh, the, we're looking at the uh, snafus of the organization. Uh, do you have a gut feeling, though, when it comes to uh, what was just described there by Sylvain? What can I say is when you look at the uh, economic literature, scientific literature, we have a consensus that we don't know how to measure if there is a positive or negative impact of the gains on the national economy because it's too hard to isolate it, the uh, economic uh, factor economic indicator that uh, that have influenced by the game. So I, I just can say that nobody in the scientific world can say we have a consensus on this point. After that, the question of the image for me is surprising because Paris did not uh, need the games to be famous, did not need the games to have a tourism. We say after the attentat, after the terrorist attack of 2015-2014 that uh, the image will decline and finally we remain at the top of uh, the ranking for tourists arrived. So uh, yes, Paris did not need the games to be famous, but it can have an impact, but how to measure this impact, we don't know at a scientific point of view. Martin Duplantier, Paris didn't need the games to be famous. Why did it want it so badly? Remember, we, did, we tried to get them so many times, 2008, 2012. I'll, I'll because, because Paris is part of the history of the games, right? And it's good to have it back, back uh, a bit back home as well, you know. Uh, we're not Greece, but... Um, and, and I think the city itself is, is uh, uh, let's say, uh, intramuros Paris and the suburbs of Paris is a different story. And for that, and I'll, I'll be interested actually to see the, the, the figures on, on how much it costs to uh, uh, build, okay, the, the venues and uh, the, the Olympic Village, etc. But as well, the infrastructure, the Grand Paris Express, so the, the, the greater this new metro lines. Yeah, this new express metro line. For me, the games are a big booster for, for, for a city like Paris. Paris and metropolitan area of Paris. So it's a chance to push uh, on uh, wooden constructions. It's a, it's, a, it's a way also to push mobility. It's a way to push uh, bike lanes on uh, and, and transformation of public spaces. It's a way to educate uh, also uh, kids um, uh, at school, um, at sports, because we lack sport courses as well in, in terms of educational programs. So there are a number of, of uh, dimensions where the Olympic Games are great for a city like Paris, which is not a sport city. Yeah, trying to get uh, better transport, trying to get more sporting venues, trying to clean up the River Seine. When he was Paris mayor, late ex-president Jacques Chirac famously promised the Seine uh, that he would one, day be, would one day be so clean that he would swim in it. 
course, he never did keep that promise. The current mayor reiterating the promise at the beginning of this year. Uh, before the games, she says, Anne Hidalgo will take a dip. Uh, state and local authorities have invested around 1.4 billion euros since 2016 to clean up the Seine and its main tributary, uh, the Marne. Um, Sylvain Bersinger, is that when you calculate how much games bring to a city, is that part of the calculation, uh, the building of these huge um, uh, infrastructure rail lines, the cleaning up of, uh, of the water? No, the, the, the figure I gave you is only the economic impact on the French economy of the uh, 9 to 12 billion spent for the games. Of course, there are many other impacts, and I, I agree with uh, what Alexander said, to, to know the total economic impact in terms of tourism, in terms of long-time attractivity. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to have um, precise uh, figures. So we, we feel that there is a positive impact, uh, that when people all around the world will see uh, Paris, will see the buildings, they will want to come to visit the city, but to know precisely how much uh, tourists will come in addition, thanks to the game, it's very difficult to know. And um, in my calculation, I didn't uh, estimate the economic impact of the cleaner river, um, it, it's very hard to have a figure on that. They tried to stage the deep water uh, swimming events last year as a test run, and uh, unfortunately it had just rained a lot and they had to cancel it because the water quality wasn't good enough. Uh, James Parrick, uh, would you swim in the Seine? I will swim in the Seine when it's ready to swim in, but on that event, you have to remember that that came, what was it, two weeks after the one in the north of England where they had an open water swim where, where dozens and dozens of athletes were coming out with illnesses and, and pretty serious illnesses from swimming in contaminated water there. So they were ultra careful. I don't think that same thing would have happened when they cancelled the event in Paris, but I think they would just, they would rather cancel than have the bad news of illnesses, infections from dirty water. I think that there's such a, an imperative on Paris to get this right, that the Seine will be fine. I hope it doesn't rain un, 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 you know, unfortunate amounts during the games, but I think it will be great. And yes, I would look forward to swimming in the Seine when we're ready for it. How about you, Alexandre Faure? I totally agree. I think that the two main uh, legacy of Paris 2024 will be the Seine River cleaning, and this will be very good in the future for inhabitants, uh, particularly in the summer. And we can say that the game was a real lever, real booster for booster for that. So it's it's the first one, and the second legacy will certainly be the number of French spectators which came, which come to to the game because we saw the figures that the, the French are the first to to buy tickets. So the, the, these two points are certainly the best. So French people have access to the games, uh, first time in 100 years, and second is the Seine River cleaning. We will be able to swim in inside, and we can say that 10 years ago it was impossible to but, imagine but that. But so how, how much are the French uh, uh, have access to the games is also up for debate still. Uh, Anne Hidalgo, the mayor, promised uh, 24 euro tickets, and there were some on sale that I saw for things like uh, uh, qualifying matches for the football, uh, but I didn't see very many for the top events. Yes, it's true that that's really a problem, and I do the, the calculation for France Culture one year ago, and we can say that there's 24 euro ticket, it, it, it's quite a lying, I can say, because it's only for uh, events like uh, sports, uh, football, sorry, in in, uh, in other cities, or it's it's for uh, 
non-famous uh, sports and it's very expensive to buy a ticket. But uh, the games will not only be for people who are in the stadium, but there will be a, a lot of fan zones. There will be some celebration in cities, not only in Paris, but also in suburbs and in other regions. And if the authorities are, are so quite flexible and they arrive to put their celebration site at, at in light and people are able to access in, in this fan zone, we can have a huge celebration um, for, for a lot of people and a good time for French people. And, and that can be a good uh, legacy for Paris 2024. And this is what I say at the beginning. This legacy, immaterial legacy, is perhaps the most important point for Paris 2024. Sylvain Bersinger, is it also just a playground for the rich. I ask the question because, I mean, when I see, for instance, 800 euros for the morning events, that's the qualifying events for the athletics, there are obviously people out there who are going to pay it. Is it just because there's a critical mass of very rich people now who can travel around the world and say, oh, let's go to the Olympics and pay 800 euros for the qualifiers of the athletics? Yes, it's true. There is a debate about the, the, the price of the ticket, but um, if the price is high, uh, it will generate uh, revenue for the, for the games and less taxpayer money. So it's also a good thing. Uh, if the prices are low, uh, the state will have to uh, put more money uh, in, in the game. So uh, I think there is a, a trade-off between uh, how much money you want to, to collect from uh, the Are the Olympics for the rich? Well, that, that, that's, uh, it could be a problem that if you want to collect more money uh, with the tickets, uh, only rich people will access the game. But uh, I, I think that we can enjoy the game without uh, living in Paris and without having a ticket. I, I remember as a child, uh, it was a long time ago, but uh, in the 1998 uh, World Cup, uh, I was 10 years old. I was living in the countryside in France, far away from Paris, and we were all kid playing uh, soccer, football uh, with, um, with, with, uh, with um, thinking we were Zidane and we were all very excited and we never came to Paris. So I think many people are, will enjoy the game even if they live in all the country. So we don't, we don't have to, it's better to have a ticket because of course you see the athletes, but you can enjoy the game even if you are not in Paris. And I think that's also important. All right, and it's still, that's, you, you touched such an important point. It's still in 2024, a huge global spectacle. Uh, just to give you an example, this Thursday, North Korea's women's football coach bursting into tears, Japan eliminating his side from Olympic qualifiers. He expressed a disappointment not being able to come to Paris. The Olympics never age, uh, but sports go in and out of fashion. To give you an idea, French skateboarding champion Aurélien Giraud uh, was uh, immortalized at uh, Paris's Wax Museum. I did not know he, uh, uh, he, he was that much of a celeb. Uh, skateboarding, which uh, returns uh, to the Olympics this time after its introduction at the last games in Tokyo. New sports include break dancing, or breaking as it's called, much to the delight of uh, the Australian squad, which will be headed uh, to Paris. Yeah, it's, it's gangster. It's skits. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm super keen. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm thrilled. You know, going to the Olympics. You know, that's it's a crazy part of my life. You know, I'm able to brag that to my friends and all. That's crazy. You know. James Parrick, uh, are you? What's your What's your religion when it comes to uh, these? Come on, what do you want me to say? It, look, break is not going to be my thing. 
I'm sure they're amazing athletes and it'll engage many people in that, but it's not my thing. But the Olympics should be about fencing and judo. Yeah, and, and it is, it, it is. Um, there is a great question on that, um, is what is an Olympic sport or what should be an Olympic sport? That is a, a huge debate. Everybody's got their own, or their own views on these things. I mean, you can, go, you can go endlessly on this. You can say, look, if you have ice dancing in the Winter Olympics, why can't you have ballroom dancing, for example, in the Summer Olympics? Well, why do we have judge sports? And it goes on and on. So if you look at skateboarding, you look at the climbing, the bouldering and the speed climbing, you can ask yourself, well, in skateboarding, maybe the more exciting thing is to have downhill uh, skateboarding, which would be super exciting to see. And that's not part of it. So these debates will continue. It's only in its infancy at the moment with the new sports. Break is not my thing, but climbing, skateboarding, I'm closer to those than, than some of the others. Well, one of the criteria is the sport has to have a big following in at least, what is it, four out of five continents. Um, when you look at, again, this globalized world we live in, we know the world's two most popular sports are football and cricket. Uh, football, which, which where it's not the best athletes on the male side uh, who, who will be there, and cricket, which isn't, isn't there at all. Your thoughts on how spectator sports are evolving? To it's a, it's a really difficult and complex question to answer. And we're going to need another debate to talk about these things. Um, I think, it, as a general rule, look, if it's the most important thing in your sport, then, yeah, the Olympics is the place to play it. If it's not the most important thing in your sport, maybe it shouldn't be there. Let's just start with that. Um, the way people interact with sports, the way it changes cultural ideas, the way it influences grassroots sports, okay, great. Let's do it. The Olympics definitely does all of these things. It will do it in France. This is going to be the greatest Olympics, in my opinion, there's ever been. Paris is the perfect city to have an Olympics. You don't have to have tickets to see it. Just come to Paris and enjoy. Talk to the people. Be in the city. It's going to be amazing. And whether or not there's a transport strike. Martin Dupontier, <laughs> what's the one event that you're looking forward to? The one event out of these 16 days? Yeah. You mean? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's the 100 meter race and also uh, swimming, swimming sessions. So the, 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 those are the classic yeah, big, of, exactly. you know, the first week's all about the swimming and the second week's all about the athletics. Oh my God, yeah, you just have that chicken skin, right? Thinking about it. Sylvain Bersinger? Your, your event of the Olympics that you'll be looking forward to? Well, it will be uh, kayak because uh, I practice a lot uh, kayaking as a teenager. So that, that's my sport. And uh, I, I will f follow most of all kayak, but also all sports. What, what I like with the Olympics is that you have the opportunity to see uh, many sports you, you, you never heard about. You did, you James Parrick's point about if this, if this is the most important event in your sport, Y yes, like kayaking is the case. Yes, it's the case in kayaking. But uh, what I like in the Olympics is that you just uh, put on the television and you see a sport you maybe you don't even know it exists and uh, you you never s you, you you see it in television only for uh, every four years and that's a good point with the Olympics. Alexandre Fort, what are you looking forward to? For water polo. Oh, <laughs> the water polo. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because it was the first gold medal of France in water polo 100 years ago. And now France came back and just win again Hungary that are the favorites. So why not water polo? It's not famous, but it's a nice sport and it's a quite ancient sport for the games. 
Alexandre Fort, in the Olympic spirit. Many thanks uh, for joining us uh, from Grenoble. I want to thank as well Martin Duplantier, uh, James Parrick, Sylvain Bersinger. Thank you for being with us here in the France 24 debate. In 2024, discover France 24's new look. New content, more live reports, bringing the news to you faster. All our teams are working hard to bring you the best news coverage. France 24 is reinventing itself. See you on March the 4th. Every art form. Liberté, égalité, actualité.